Well, we have been on a journey through the book of James. We took a couple weeks off for Easter, and today we finish that journey. This is the last passage in the book of James. So we're in James chapter 5, starting in verse 13 and reading to the end. Um, James writes this letter, but we don't have a real letter sort of ending to it. It just sort of finishes the teaching, but I think it, it does thematically wrap up some of what James has been doing in the latter part of the book. And so we're going to talk about that today. So James, starting in verse 13. If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. If it, is anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Here ends the reading of God's word. Before I went to work in the church, I worked and did what we call team building. And so I would work with a lot of business teams, a lot of school groups, but a lot of them were athletic teams, mainly soccer and basketball teams for the facility I was at. And I, we would do challenges. We would do games. I ran a ropes course. And, and so I would ask the teams to, to accomplish certain tasks with guidelines and safety and all that stuff. And then the teams would have to go through the task. And what we found was that in doing these little these challenges, these games, even though it wasn't anything like soccer or basketball or lacrosse or whatever the team was, that a lot of the dynamics that happened between the players would follow over into the, the game. And it was easier to talk about because we weren't so focused on the, the sport. We were so focused on the dynamic. And in fact... Because there was no score on the line, teams found it easier to try new behaviors. So it became a really great thing to get them out of their element and, and uh, see things different, try on new behaviors, and then decide what they want to bring back. Um, did this with companies, with all kinds of groups. But we found that one set of issues tended to dominate a lot of our discussion and our learning. And that was the issue of consistency. Now, there were some teams, some basketball teams, some soccer teams, that were just flat out bad. And if you're, you're really bad, there's not much you can do to kind of get over that. If you stink, you stink. But most teams didn't stink all the time. They weren't that bad. They had some skill, some ability. The problem for them was often consistency. Some teams would play good against really good teams, but they'd go to play a team they should beat that's not very good, and uh, they play lousy too. They would play to the level of the competition. If you watch sports or you played sports at all, you know how this works, right? You've seen this. And if you're a Steelers fan, it's really frustrating, right? <laughs> Some teams would be the opposite. Some teams, if they went to play a really good team, they would assume they were going to lose and they wouldn't play very hard. 
And when, when they went to play some team that wasn't very good, they would play well because they were expected to win. Sometimes teams were playing good when they were winning, but would crumble if they were behind or if a ref made a bad call or one injury, one thing would get them razzled. Other teams liked to play from behind and seemed like they couldn't get excited until they were losing. And by that point, you're losing. Teams couldn't find consistency. It was hard. It's very difficult to find consistency, right? You've got to know how your team wants to play, and you've got to be able to impose that on the other team no matter what the circumstances are. But the circumstances are always changing, right? The dynamics are always different. You're playing different level of teams. You're playing, and the score is changing. You're playing, and the refs are making different decisions and different halves. And it's hard to play consistent when the world around you is so consistent, or so inconsistent. Seasons had their ups and seasons had their downs and teams just had trouble playing at the same level. And I think that's not just true in sports. I think life is like that, right? Life is full of ups and downs, highs and lows, mountains and valleys. There are these exciting and memorable days that you can think back to and it's like you're suddenly there. Some of them you just can never forget. Some of them you probably wish you could. And then there are all kinds of boring days, right? Completely forgettable days like Tuesdays where nothing happened. It's just kind of a day. Sometimes we feel very close to God like he is right there. Sometimes we feel very distant from God. And sometimes we can feel both those things in the same day. In the same hour, in fact. We can feel both at the same time. Life is a mixed bag. It's a roller coaster. So James is is writing this letter, and what's he concerned with? He's concerned with being a doer of the word and not just a hearer. That your works are important to your faith. You're not saved because of your works, but faith without works is dead. If you say you believe something that doesn't look like it, then we've got to question whether you really believe it or not. You do not just hear the words, you have to actually do them. And so James understands, he wants you to be a doer of the word. But sometimes in life, that's going to be easier than in other times. And he's already been starting to make this case, right? Talked about people who wish for their future. Talked about wealth. Talked about suffering last week. All these things can interrupt the way you do work. But James thinks, even though life is up and down, that we ought to be consistent in our faith and in our works. And so we give some guidance right here to end the letter on how to do that. And it's very valuable advice. So listen up. This can really help you. First, we should go to God. Pray in suffering and praise when we're cheerful. We have really relegated prayer today to something we do at church or before meals or when we're really, really desperate. But the Bible has all kinds of prayers. Prayers about little decisions. Prayers that, um, that are rude almost to God. Questioning God. Mad at God. So these big poems of prayer in the Psalms about how beautiful nature is and how it reflects God's work. What we tend to like is middle ground prayers. Prayers that aren't too begging. Aren't too mushy. Just normal prayers. Safe to, to thank God for your meal. Right? To be reminded that there are other people that don't have meals. But listen to some of the prayers that David wrote. This is Psalm 141, 1 through 6. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him from the heights. 
Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created, and He established them forever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Now, I just picked a random psalm. There's a whole bunch of psalms like this. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer like this? Just really praise God. Just really thankful to God for all that He has done in your life. But listen also to some of these psalms. Psalm 142, verses 1 and 2, just a couple chapters before. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. Here's an example of David doing just that in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? David's willing to pray to God a prayer that says, where are you? What's going on? I'm being attacked. I'm in pain. And where are you, Lord? Now, if you continue to read the psalm, even David, when he prays these kind of psalms, turns it around and confesses some kind of faith at the end. But again and again, he's willing to do it. And if you don't believe that about that, go look up the guy named Jeremiah in the Old Testament. He has a whole book called Lamentations, and this is all it is. Complaints against God. The Bible is full of both kinds of prayer. The full range of emotions in our prayers. That tells me not only that we have permission to be emotional with God, but that we should be expected to be emotional with God. To pray to God when we're up and to pray to God when we're down. Let me say this as plainly and clearly as I can. I believe that God deeply cares about you. Even the little things in your life you don't think God cares about, He cares about those. He wants to be a part of the little things as well as the big things. And God lives outside of time. You know what that means? You can't bore Him. You can't waste his time. Time is not a thing to God. It's a thing to us. God has all the time in the world because he made all the time in the world. And God gives you all kinds of mercy and all kinds of blessings all the time. And, and um, he may not give you everything you want or everything you think you need, but he does give you blessings all the time. We just have to have the perspective to see that. I remember I went running one time out at Presque Isle State Park up in Erie, and uh, I was jogging, and there was a deer like five feet off the trail. I'm talking like here. And so I just stopped, and the, the deer are so used to the people in that small space, they just stood there. And so I sat and just watched this deer for a while, and then finally it sort of took off and went away. And so I, I started to kind of walk, and there was a guy running towards me. I was like, man, there's a deer right there. And he looked at me and said, they're everywhere here, and just kept running. So we're like that, aren't we? God blesses us all the time and we're so used to it that we ignore it. In fact, that man was angry. I brought it up. It's a deer right there. He's angry that I interrupted him to show him the beauty right next to him. You know what? God has blessings for us all the time. We don't even realize it. And when, when we tend to have good times in our life, we tend to say, look what I did. 
instead of really acknowledging God. Both kinds of prayer are important. And whenever good times are happening and whenever bad times are happening, you lean into God. And we do the exact opposite. When, when stuff's going bad, we, we pull away from God. Or when stuff's going good, we don't need God anymore. And, and James says, no, no, no. No matter what you're going through, the highs and the lows, you lean into God. You pray or you praise, but whichever way, you keep going to Him. I think we're guarded with God because we've largely been trained to be guarded with other people too. We like our privacy, don't we? We don't want to be too needy. We don't want to share our needs with other people. It is so hard for people to accept help, right? We don't want to ask for it, let alone accept it. Because we don't want to be needed or feel needy. And we don't want others to feel bad. So we tend to keep ourselves guarded. So when we have a good thing like we want to celebrate, we're careful to not tell other people because they may not feel that same way. Or when we feel bad, we don't want to bring other people down. So we just end up guarding ourselves and isolating ourselves. But James says no. Not only should you go to God, you should go to others for prayer, for healing, and for confession. When's the last time we confess anything to another person? We just don't do that. We don't pray. We don't have those kind of intimate relationship. I'm going, to, I'm going to describe in a minute what I mean, what the text means by anointing with oil. But for right now, just catch the bigger point. That when you are in need, when you are hurt, when you are done something wrong, you have help. It's not just God. It's also the community around you. James even ends this passage and ends his entire book talking about how when somebody loses their faith, it's a blessing when you go and bring them back. That we go after each other when we start to leave the flock. Let's just be honest. When's the last time we really confessed to each other? When's the last time we really prayed with each other? I mean, I think one of the most important things we do at this church is the prayer tree. But, but at the same time, there's a lot of value in putting your hand on somebody's shoulder and not just saying you're going to pray for them, but actually praying with them right now. We're scared to pray out loud, let alone pray with each other. And the Bible talks about that as if it should be normal. You should be praying enough that when somebody needs prayer, you just pray for them right there. Not, I'll pray for you. Right now, I'm going to pray with you here. Maybe it's just we haven't grasped the true power of prayer yet. James seems to have a huge view of prayer that Elijah prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Now, the the promise here isn't that God answers all your prayers with a yes, but that sometimes God really does sort of fold your prayers into his will. He he sometimes yields, he sometimes goes with the requests of his people. Now, God doesn't always, right? Because God is like a loving parent. I don't give my kids everything they want, right? Or else all we would eat is chips and candy bars and we would own a toy store, right? Okay? Because ultimately, I know my kids think they want that, but really that won't make them happy. And that that work actually is important. And so sometimes God doesn't answer how we want, but at the same time, He's loving and he's caring and he really does listen to the prayers of his people. So why don't we do this? Why is it that when things get difficult, and we've all been here, we've all seen this, right? Things get difficult so we pull away from church. 
and we distance ourselves from God. Or things are going so great that we just leave church alone. We don't even need it right now. I'll be back there when I need it. I'll be back to God when I need it. The result, we're inconsistent, just like those sports teams. We're living our life, and our faith and our works gets bounced about by the roller coaster that life is, instead of us having a faith and a works that's just steady, that's faithful to God. It's sad that we live in such isolation when we were designed to be so close to God and to each other. We're supposed to be able to stop and pray for each other. We're supposed to be able to do that. We've got to regain some of that. Now, I want to talk specifically about prayer and the anointing of oil. James says to go to an elder of the church. We use, because we're Presbyterian, the term elder to also mean a leadership board. Um, but when James wrote this, there wasn't quite the distinction that we made. And so the pastors and the elders were, were sort of all the elders. Um, and so probably he means a little more the pastors, as we would call them today. But I think elders can do this too. That would anoint with oil. Now, oil in those days was very important. It could come from all kinds of sources. Uh, olive, olive oil, very important over there. Um, but you could get oil from all kinds of different places. But it was very important because if you lived in that climate and you wore sandals all the time, your feet would dry out, hands would dry out, face would dry out. And so oil had not just the, not just the normal sort of cooking utility, but also had kind of a healing quality. Kept your, kept your body clean and, and you'd put it on your feet when they were all dry and it would start to, start to heal that. And so oil began to represent healing. And then anointing would be important. That you would put oil on someone to set them apart. It's used specifically in the Old Testament whenever we get kings and whenever we get priests. Whenever a new priest comes along, they're anointed with oil. As a symbol of God's blessing and as a symbol of God's presence with them. It was also used in healing. So if you were healed or if you wanted to be healed, the priest or the prophets could use oil to anoint you, to pray over you. As, as a symbol of, yes, God is with you. And you're going to feel it and you're going to kind of smell it as this oil is upon you. And as I pray over you. To be touched by someone else and prayed over in this fashion. And to be touched with that oil can by itself be healing. Not just healing of the body, though we pray for that, but also healing of the soul, to know that you're not alone, to be reminded that God is with you, and to be prayed over by somebody else, to feel that connection with the church as you are prayed over. So today, something we've never done before, I have anointing oil with me. And I'm going to, when we have communion, be available over here to the side if you would like prayer for healing. And it could be prayers for your healing. could be prayers for somebody else. Um, could be a physical thing that you want care over. But, but healing can also mean healing broken relationships, I think. Healing can mean all kinds of things in your spirit. But I'm going to be available just to pray specifically with people that want to pray. And if you don't want to, that's fine. And if, uh, if you just want prayer, but you don't want anointed, that's fine with me too. Um, but I, I thought today, since the text specifically talks about this, this might be a good way for us to practice a little bit of what James says. 
Because I think communion does this, right? It's in communion that we come together and we commune with each other and we commune with God. And so it's a special time. Um, Wherever you are today, whatever you're going through, whatever has happened to you in your life or whatever you have failed to do, the call of the communion table, the call of the church that matter is come as you are. Be yourself. Don't try to pretend. Let all your emotions, let everything you're feeling right now come before God. God is big enough to handle your anger and your frustrations. Come to Him. Life is going to be inconsistent, but my prayer for you is that you would have the consistency of constantly leaning into God and to other people. Amen.